Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges. Hello, and welcome back to our 2020 U.S. Trend Report podcast series. I'm your host, Kim Bell, the SVP and Head of Health and Benefits here at NFP. And with me today is Deb Smolinski, our Vice President of Wellbeing and Engagement. Today, we'll be taking a closer look at well-being, a topic that, you know, based on our experiences in 2020 and, you know, certainly some of the experiences we are going to continue to have as we kick off 2021. Um, It's an important topic for our employer clients and something that we hope that we can be helpful with. So, Deb, thanks for joining me today. Let's start with some general questions. Um, When you were working on your section of the trend report last year, what was one thing that stood out for you? Well, the big thing that stood out for me is how easily external factors determine the well-being trends in your reality. So in January, I was writing all about the war on talent and digital transformation and upskilling. And within two months, you know, we're laser focused on basic core well-being initiatives like good hygiene, hand washing, mental health, and, you know, utilizing virtual care and, and those kinds of things. That, that's what stood out. Well, for sure. I mean, it changed in an instant, it seemed like. And, you know, I know everyone's world was turned upside down. So um, all, you know, good things. But, um, you know, we've learned a lot and we probably still have a lot more to learn. Well, if you could pick one word to describe the state of employee benefits in this country, what would it be and why? Oh, so... You know, employee benefits, um, the word would be underutilized. And I guess I picked that word because in the well-being and engagement practice, we look at everything through the lens of the employee and the employee experience. And benefits are just something people continue to look at maybe once or twice a year or as the, you know, emergency arises. Um, But there are really a lot of hidden gems and um, ways to elevate care and save money by utilizing them all to the fullest. Uh, and, and so underutilized, you know, seems to come up to come to mind because employees don't necessarily still know about the benefits. And even if they know about them, they don't know where to find them or how to use them. Um, you know, we see preventive exams hovering around 40 to 50 percent only, dental cleanings, annual um, vision screenings, wellness programs, and the list goes on. They're just not as utilized. Uh, so, um, you know, we built a product called People EQ at NFP to solve for this, uh, but that's why the reason I come up with that word. Just there's more to be found out and uh, utilized, really, with benefits. All right. Well, I mean, that's exactly right. And communication, you know, I know it feels like, you know, we spend our lives communicating and we still have underutilized benefits. So, you know, always, always things we can do better. And, you know, I think that technology and artificial intelligence and things like that will help us. Um, But, you know, still lots of work to be done in that area. 
Well, there was a lot of data to digest in the trend report, but for an employer who may be looking for specific direction on how to make a meaningful near-term impact with their benefits program, what's one action you would recommend they take this year? So I guess one action, um, you you know this, Kim, I kind of live by these overarching mantras. So this year I'm guided by progress over perfection or essential over exhausted. So my recommendation um, really goes to the Einstein's definition of insanity, which means, you know, doing things the same way over and over and expecting different results. The one thing I would recommend is remembering that definition and knowing that we can't go back to last year's philosophy, views, programs. Um, They're not going to generate the results we need to see in this new complex environment. So that one action is really to take a step back and really evaluate what do our people need right now. And, you know, to be even more specific, let's drill down the, you know, the solution that's top of mind, which is mental health. And the basic EAP that we've had in place forever, it just won't cut it anymore. Um, Our strategies around this need to be, you know, more robust and a variety of them to help our employees be the best at work. So, you know, that's why we're helping our clients uh, focus this year on building a mentally strong workplace because that's the action we feel really um, people can take that will have the, the biggest impact. Yeah, I think, I don't, I don't think I know a single person who hasn't had, you know, some, not a mental health concern, but just been affected, you know, their mental health has been affected by all the things we've gone through in 2020, whether it's you know, changes to your routines or, you know, stress from, you know, lack of socialization or whatever it is. I mean, it's, it's been unprecedented, that's for sure. Well, workplace well-being means different things to different people. What does it mean to you and how has your definition evolved in recent years and probably especially just in the last 12 months? <laughs> right. I mean, that's the key. Um, so, I guess when I work with clients, I always just start by clarifying what what the goal of workplace well-being is. And it really isn't about fixing employees or making them do something for their best interest or even reducing healthcare costs. I mean, the goal of workplace well-being is just to create the environment and the conditions where people can bring their best selves to work. So in order to do that, and because things have evolved, you know, my definition has evolved um, and it evolves, you know, holistically. And it also revolves around being as personalized as possible because we're, we're dealing with individuals here, humans, um, and our needs are changing all the time. So, um, you know, basically, if I have that supportive environment and resources to help my family and all the opportunities to do my best work and get recognized, engagement goes up, productivity goes up, and those are all buckets of well-being. So focusing on more than physical, emotional, mental health, my definition expands to financial well-being, community and social well-being, career wellness, um, even more so this past year, an emphasis on inclusion uh, and DNI, DI efforts and culture. 
um, and psychological safety. So all of these elements are now part of our definition and help people, you know, really be their best at work. Okay. I mean, I, yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's very, you know, very rounded. It just, it seems, you know, frankly, a little bit overwhelming, right? I mean, just for me sitting and, and talking with you, and I'm sure for, you know, the average client out there, it's, it's you know, this is seems like a mountain to climb. Well, like many things in our challenging economic environment, some organizations may view well-being as a cost they just can't take on right now. How do you help employers see it as an investment and understand why this investment is so critical right now? And beyond the virus itself, how dramatic an effect has the pandemic had on employees and their families? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a really interesting time, I must say, because before the pandemic, honestly, um, you know, your previous comment of it's a big mountain to climb, it was a, a mountain that most people didn't even want to climb. So, um, you know, well-being programs, they were harder to get traction on, quite frankly. But now in all the discussions um, we're having, um, you know, with the pandemic, et cetera, it's, it's gone to the top of the business priority list. And so when I have those challenging conversations, I, you know, reference some research and scientific evidence. There's a book called Firms of Endearment, which shows that companies that focus on the elements of like people, purpose, and profit all together significantly outperform the S&P 500 and, and the markets. Um, so it's just important to focus on progress again over perfection and try to find one solution to help move the needle and um, really prioritize and commit to that. Uh, but, you know, back to your other question in terms of how the pandemic has impacted our employees and families, I, I, I honestly think we all have some common experience, um, as a collective trauma, if you will. So I think we've seen the dramatic and devastation in, in the news, and that's kind of spilling over into the workplace in, in a variety of ways. And there really hasn't been any other time in our um, career history where we can collectively say every employee across the globe at some point in their time with this pandemic has experienced uh, a mental health symptom of COVID. Not the physical symptom, but as you alluded to earlier, like the mental health symptoms, grief, loss, isolation, loneliness, biasness, discrimination. Um, and so, you know, there's just this global consensus around those common experiences. And, um, and, and so for the first time ever, you're going to hear phrases like collective trauma, and um, that's applied to the workplace. So to your point, it is an uphill battle, but one that's doable. And we just have to focus on 2021 and, and again, really focus on helping our clients build mentally strong and resilient workplaces. Well, I like your comment of progress, not perfection. So I think that's a that's a good lesson in life and not just yeah. during these kind of times and when we're dealing with these kind of challenges. But um, I always think about just moving the pile forward. You don't have to finish it. You don't have to get to your destination. I think the, you know, this is a journey that we're all on. So 
Well, and you mentioned before, Deb, well-being used to be viewed as a tactic to reduce health care costs, but we are in a different day and age now, and that's not necessarily the case. Can you elaborate on how this has changed and what are some of the benefits beyond physical wellness? Yeah, I, I mean, it's still important to understand your culture of your organization. There really are two camps when it comes to well-being. And some camps just still believe that it's, you know, all about healthcare cost reduction. And honestly, that that's okay. But well-being really isn't intended for that use. Um, so, you know, we see that larger umbrella being the right strategy for people where they, it's just the right thing to do. But knowing which camp you fall into is a critical step. Um, and then in terms of going beyond physical wellness then and the benefits of it, it, you know, I'd say the thing that's changed the most is kind of the breadth and depth, which I alluded to that a company can focus on or is focusing on right now. I mean, who would have thought we'd be sourcing temperature, you know, thermometers and and things like that. Um, so it's expanded in several ways. And um, the companies that are doing the right things, figuring out how to connect their workforce during these trying times through peer recognition and collaborative platforms like Slack or Facebook at work, um, you know, through social well-being initiatives and, and those kinds of things. Um, and so these companies allow their employees to participate in all kinds of things around personal development innovation. And so again, their definition is pretty broad. And we've taken it beyond that physical element like biometric screenings. And I think we all have seen examples of where we are focusing on parenting solutions, caregiving solutions, um, you know, and because our, our surveys are showing employees stay at organizations longer when their company supports and recognizes them and you know and their families both their workplace needs and their personal needs as one holistic kind of strategy I agree. I think it's it's interesting from even, you know, a, a NFP as national consultants for clients on their benefits that, you know, we're having conversations around, you know, vaccine administration and as you're saying, ordering thermometers and how do we, you know, contact tracing and I mean things that, you know, we've I mean, we really haven't had to address and our clients haven't had to address. So it is definitely, you know, a new and interesting world. Well, in the trend report, women's health, chronic disease management, financial wellness, and mental health and well-being were mentioned as areas receiving more attention. Now we, you know, keeping in mind, we wrote the trend report in the spring of last year. So, you know, probably pre-COVID and then just at the beginning of it. Um, so, you know, timing is everything, I guess. What are the drivers and what specific actions are employers taking to address some of those items that I mentioned? Yeah, I mean, you kind of nailed it, right? The, the drivers are those external factors. So, you know, women's health rose to the top, some of which because of the gender discrimination and equity that conversations that had already, you know, started to arise and, and spilled over to health equity and ensuring women are supported during all stages, family planning, caregiving, even menopause, like that's kind of a driver. And in terms of, you know, chronic disease and financial wellness and those others, 
the, the pandemic really drove, the economic recession drove, all of these things drove the, the strategies, um, at least for this year. And, you know, it's underscored and elevated, uh, you know, much, much broader because of these extreme challenges. But um, the, the other thing that tends to drive the trends is just the advancement in technology, which still played a part here, right? We're seeing just so much more digital health technology come up. Um, and, and those have been big drivers. So, you know, specific actions um, are primarily customized to each employer's goals, industry, and demographic. But because some of the, you know, the, the drivers here, as I mentioned um, above, you know, almost all the organizations are focused on mental health. And soon we're going to move to everybody's going to be you know, focused on preventive care and building those habits not to be scared to enter back into the healthcare system. So I think we're going to see just larger appetites for that in general, but especially when health plans, um, the, the big health plans are starting to align and embed these chronic disease solutions, those will help, um, you know, elevate and accelerate the, the consumption of those uh, condition management products or mental health products because they're just easily to access and, and more affordable. Yeah, I think that, I mean, the, the technology advancements, I think, I, I think one of the big things for NFP and, you know, for the industry in general that I noticed for last year was how quickly everything moved. And, you know, just the realization that everything could move that quickly. I mean, the vaccine is a perfect example. I don't remember exactly what they were saying about the normal timeframes for approvals on vaccines, but, you know, this thing is unprecedented in the fact that we already have two approved vaccines and potentially another one on the landscape. So, you know, I think the fact that things are, you know, Project Warp Speed is applied everywhere. Um, you know, we are, we're in a very fast-paced um, environment now where we're having to be very reactive. So um, it's, it's, it's uh, very interesting. Well, you mentioned about the EAP program. Some employers may feel that, you know, an employee assistance program checks the well-being box. And I think you've already made it clear that that's not the case anymore. Would you say to companies that take, what would you say to companies that take a position or maybe believe that that's all they can afford? And I think you've, again, you've touched on it a little bit. Are you starting to have conversations or seeing any changes in the number of employees relying on just a specific component like that to check all the boxes? Um, or, you know, what, what does that landscape look like? What kind of conversations are you having? I mean, with mental health specifically, um, I think even if there isn't that large dollar figure in the budget, we're really encouraging people to buy up to a more enhanced EAP solution. I mean, there is a need for care access and quality of that care. There's no doubt. So, I mean, that's the first point here. We're also, you know, trying to say no matter what the budget is, make sure if you offer telemedicine, you understand the telebehavioral component and you illustrate and communicate that out. Um, you know, beyond that, in terms of well-being platforms, uh, you know, a majority are still not on a major platform and might use the intranet or um, some other solution. 
the point being is whatever you can do to house everything together um, and paint the picture of you care as an employer is is the goal here. And and no matter where you're at or what tools you have, that's kind of our strategy when we talk to clients these days is how fast can employees find the information, how clear is the information, and, and how much utilization are you getting? Yeah, I think access is key, and I, I agree with you. I mean, being able, it's all in that communication, but you know, it, it, as fast as everything needs to move, it's very important that things be streamlined and easy. I mean, just the the number of, you know, providers or vendors who pivoted to a virtual type of model or experience in, again, such a short period of time. I just, it's just been amazing to kind of watch all of that. It's also been, you know, hectic and crazy, <laughs> but, but, you know, but, but exciting times. And again, for me, I've been hanging around this industry for a long time and I've never seen things move so quickly. So the good news is there've been so many, you know, everybody's elevated their game for sure. And, you know, the, the fact is we know now that we can do it. We raise expectations, right? Everybody yeah. will really be expecting that kind of performance going forward. And I think that weighs on people's, frankly, mental health and well-being as well. You know, we're in this really fast-paced time, but it's an unprecedented time. So, well, is there an employee headcount range or are there specific industries where you see positive momentum for innovative well-being programs? Well, I guess that's an interesting question. Um, you know, innovation is just a broad word. I, I use it in terms of creativity and curiosity, not necessarily tech focused, um, although there's a component to that. So in terms of industry, um, I do think the high tech companies are looked at as very innovative, but that's because their culture is built on that creativity. Um, so those are the, the, the companies we're seeing um, like sabbaticals, unlimited PTO, holocracy management, mindfulness easily adopted. Uh, and so that's, you know, one pillar or vertical. Large organizations in terms of size may have the money, but they are a bit stifled based on administrative barriers. So it's not a one-for-one -one based on innovation and being a large company. I think it's more um, companies that are comfortable with failing fast, experimenting, taking some more risk on and trying some of these newer startups are the ones that are driving innovation regardless of kind of size or industry. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, I think we are at, again, a point in time where there, it, things are not driven necessarily that way right now. Maybe things will revert back and it'll be, you know, certain industries want to see certain things, but it does feel like things are becoming more common across the board. So, well, I know NFP has invested significantly in expertise to help employers navigate well-being strategy and resources. And we've also invested in specific companies with offerings aligned with our well-being vision and made these offerings available to our own employees. Can you talk about the connection between what we advise our clients to consider and what we do ourselves? 
Yeah, I, I think first and foremost, um, if for those that don't know, you know, we walk our talk in terms of our brand. Our brand is people first internally, and we showcase that externally as well, because that's what we stand on. Um, so in everything we do, especially around well-being, um, it's based on what we've known to be true ourselves and incorporated. Um, we then take that out and whatever we learn, we try to share it with our clients in the form of consulting or even products like People EQ, like I mentioned. Um, so that's one way. I guess the other way is we follow the same best practices and next practices because we know that's what gets results. So we have our own champion networks. We um, follow the framework of getting leadership buy-in, um, basing our budget on a moral document, implementing high-quality solutions for us as well as um, for our clients should they want to try it. So um, we're guinea pigs in that sense as well. Um, the point being is we really try to walk, you know, alongside our clients and try out the things we know to be true and share the things we have had success with as well. Yeah, I know. I mean, our, our HR team here at NFP has done a phenomenal job with our, you know, we were a fairly large organization and, and our employees, you know, we participated in a survey a few months, you know, into COVID and, you know, our employees, we got really good feedback about just, you know, how connected we were trying to stay to them. And it's a, you know, and, and you you sit and think, you know, I hope we were doing that before, but we were, because we weren't physically located together, I think most employers have really engaged, you know, more, I don't know, more more personally with their employees because we aren't able to see each other, you know, like we were, we're not physically located together in most instances. So um, yeah, I think we, we do here at NFP try to, you know, walk the talk and, and we are very mindful of our employees. And I think that does help us to relate to our clients. Well, how, how does an employer know what their employees want? I mean, any insights on the best way to assess needs and deliver resources that employees actually want or need? Okay, so you're going straight to the million-dollar question, right? So, um, I mean, there's really no silver bullet here other than asking directly. I mean, that's it, right? There's a, a whole host of ways to solicit that insight, and some are newer technologies like but polls, surveys, bright idea campaigns, virtual suggestion boxes, even daily pulse or emoji check-ins are ways, but you have to ask them directly. I think the one of the most you know, important keys to success here is just to be very clear about what you really want and need the feedback on, and then making sure you can, in fact, act on that feedback because people who spend time filling it out want to see their results in action. Um, so, you know, the biggest misstep here is, you know, if you can't offer an on-site gym or a work week that's flexible, um, you know, make sure you don't include those as multiple choice options um, and ask to be, you know, ask really laser focused, open-ended questions around that specific topic uh, so that you can glean as much information one time through versus not having clarity when all is said and done. Um, and then finally, just making sure you communicate out what you learned and what you're going to do about it. 
Yeah, I think that's so important in all those processes. I think we can get a little, you know, surveys are great. Let's do a survey. But if you do all take all the time, first of all, to create one and to solicit that advice, and again, put the proper parameters around it, that's hugely important. But if you don't do anything with it, um, you know, I've, I've been, you know, in places in my career where you did that and you never heard anything else. And that's so frustrating to think, okay, why did I even do that? Well, what about communication? I think we all, and we've talked about it throughout our, you know, podcast today that, you know, employee awareness and that is very important and how we communicate. And certainly I think the way we've had to communicate has changed. Employee awareness of what's available seems to be a consistent challenge, of course. Any advice for employers aiming to improve in this area? Yeah, um, you know, this is an age-old problem, like I mentioned, and technology advances have helped a little, but I think the bottom line here is these challenges are going to exist unless we take a completely different approach, and you as the, you know, HR leader, um, see yourself almost as the CEO of this small company and your product is selling employee benefits. Like you take a marketing angle almost. And if you start there and you think of it in that way, you'll realize you have some pretty big challenges as a company and you'll still be able to address them in different ways. I mean, challenge one is your product benefits can't be seen, felt, consumed, or experienced. So we know people, you know, don't know what they don't know, and then they definitely don't buy what they don't know. And so how do you communicate something visually like in a hub as i mentioned so people can almost see the products on a shelf if you will and and then the second challenge we have in benefits is our products are super hard to understand they don't come with great instruction manuals um, and, and directions and and so making sure your communication is very succinct clear and to the point attached to that product um, you know, it's a scary product too, and it costs a lot of money. We're asking people to invest and think about their future in terms of illness and their mortality. Like who would want to even walk in that type of store? So, you know, I think everybody gets the point, but if you have that frame of mind, I've seen some really effective communication strategies um, and, and communications themselves, really changing the language, changing how it's being displayed and digested so that you get higher net promoter scores, you retain your customers, you know, and they're really pleased with what you offer as a, as a company. Yeah, I think this is where, to me, communications is the number one thing of um, don't don't follow the uh, rule of insanity. Don't do what you've always done and expect a different outcome. I think, I think there's enough evolution in this space. And even for us, uh, you know, as an organization trying to create solutions for our clients, we're changing, you know, our strategy around what kind of tools and, you know, strategies and those kind of things we recommend where, you know, the, the day and age of maybe standing in front of people for enrollment meetings or anything like that. Perhaps they're, you know, they're, they're, they've gone, 
the way of the cuckoo bird. So, you know, we know we have to, we have to retool, we have to think about things differently. And I think to me, communication is the number one thing that, you know, don't, don't just rely on what you've done in the past. Um, it's a, it's a new, it's a new day. Yeah. Well, are there any companies, Deb, that you feel are doing an exceptional job addressing significant well-being challenges, either generally or in specific areas with innovative products or capabilities? You know, um, we're all drinking from the fire hose right now, and the water is pretty toxic. So um, this is really subjective. And I think at the end of the day, when the dust settles, it's going to be those workplaces that rise to the top that did their best to communicate clearly and transparently and build trust, provide psychological safety, provide that flexibility, realize humanity is entering back into the workplace, and giving people the autonomy to handle whatever they need to handle at that moment. I mean, that's what's going to summarize what's happening. Um, now, when we read about which companies are going to the top in terms of success and being resilient and bouncing back from the pandemic, um, that's that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm reading about. Um, and, you know, there's products that can do that. You know, there's products where you see um, zero APR on getting your paycheck in advance. So we call those on-demand pay for financial wellness. There's tutoring programs companies are coming in and providing um, their employees with. There's all kinds of things but at the end of the day, it's not going to be those solutions. It's going to be how did you, you know, make your employees feel and, and were they supported? Did, they, did you build trust? Did you build connection? Those are the, those are the workplaces that are going to emerge successful, maybe even stronger and better than before. Yeah, I think that, you know, the the concern I know many employers have had is since employers, you know, and even NFP to a degree, you know, our culture is so important to us. And, but when you don't have your employees in a physical workplace, again, now you have to start thinking about how do we, you know, how do we keep that culture alive and all those things that made us as an organization who we are. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. There, there's a lot going on now. And um, hopefully, you know, some of our, some of our uh, Q&A today has been helpful to employers listening to this podcast. We'll be, um, you know, beginning our work on our 2021 trend report any day now, as we start thinking about, you know, what are the trends we're going to see as we move through this year. And clearly, you know, these first few months, we're going to be very focused on vaccines and all those things and, and working to, you know, get people back to work. Um, but, you know, I think that the landscape of the of employee benefits and certainly of the well-being space um, have changed and everybody is going to need to, you know, change along with it. So we're here to help and, uh, you know, hopefully clients will be successful in that and be able to attract and retain and, you know, be successful. So thanks so much for joining me today. And with that, we'll end today's podcast. <music>